What a blessing. Well, this morning's already been a blessing. I, I miss Reuben's little farewell address. He always tells graduates, congratulations on completing the easiest part of your life. I love that. And the all God's children that's over 18 says, amen. <laughs> we appreciate all the graduates and college. Casey was back there in the choir, so congratulations to you too. It's a great accomplishment. We appreciate you. Look forward to what God's going to do in your next chapter of life. And we're very proud of you. Just represent the Lord and your church well. We ask you, if you would, to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to the book of Romans on Sunday morning. We're going through the book of Romans, one of my favorite books because it's God's method of saving sinners. I don't think that we can learn enough about that. I tell you, this is a book that will change your life. If you're lost, it's a great book to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. We're looking at the ideal this morning of justification by grace through faith. Explain that. We've looked at the example of that both in Abraham's life and in David's life and now back to Abraham's life. I'd like to look at Romans 4. And I want to read verse 9 through verse 15 this morning as we look at our subject. You've found your place and you're able. We'd invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures open. And let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible inspired word together. Romans chapter 4 verse number 9 the question is, cometh this blessing then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Verse 13 for the promise that he should be the heir of the world and not to Abraham nor or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, well, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Father, thank you again for the Word of God. Thank you for the example you've given to us in the life of Abraham in the Scriptures to help explain to us that justification is by grace through faith alone. Lord, help me to share this with the clarity of the Holy Spirit of God. I need your help, Lord. Would you help me to decrease and you increase? We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you're our strength and you're our redeemer. We ask, Lord, that your word to go forth in power and demonstration to the end thereof. You're glorified and lives are changed. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Again, justification by grace through faith. This far, let me give you just a little recap, but this far we have learned According to the book of Romans, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, that all men everywhere are sinners. 
and are under the wrath of God because of their ungodliness, their unrighteousness, and their unbelief. The Bible specifically says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All deserve death and hell, and yet God, in indescribable love, offers sinful humanity the opportunity to be cleansed from all their sins, reconciled unto holy God, and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, His darling Son. That's what we've been learning. Now, if you ask me, I could stop there and say, that's great grace. That really actually helps me sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Saved a wretch like me. Are you all here this morning? <laughs> you did realize you was a sinner, and yet God loved you in spite of you and offered His Son in your stead. In order that you be saved, pardoned, redeemed, forgiven. Boy, that's grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That's amazing grace. We've also learned that salvation is by faith alone and not works. This has been sufficiently proven in this great book by using the lives of both Abraham and David as an example. And yet there are men who still seek to earn salvation through their feeble works of their own hands. Let me just stop and tell you, it can't be done. You can't work enough to go to heaven. Why? Because you're not good enough to go to heaven. Everybody looks at you like you're crazy. You're not good enough to go to heaven, or you never will be. Why? Because God's standard is absolute perfection. There's one crutch that man uses. They often try to lean on their own imagined goodness, but Paul thundered, for all have sinned and come short the glory of God. In other words, we've all missed his mark of perfection. The second crutch that most men often attempt to use is some type of religious observance or some ritual in order to be saved. And that's the question of our text that we're dealing with. Paul's critics ask about the right of circumcision. But they learned as well as we will that justification is by grace through faith alone. Unless you get this, you'll never be saved. But when you do get it and you are saved, great is your rejoicing when you follow that song that says, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I have clung. The Bible teaches us that salvation, two thoughts this morning and we're going home. Salvation is apart from religion, but I want you to help me here. I'm just giving you two points this morning, but I want you to get it. Why? Because those who miss Christ, those who miss heaven, miss on these two contingent thoughts. Really? Most people think they're too religious to go to hell. But religion will send you straight to hell. Most people think they're too moral to go to hell. Surely God wouldn't let a good person go to hell. Listen, there's none righteous. No, not one. Please hear me this morning when I preach with urgency to tell you that salvation is apart from religion. I want you to notice the question, well, what about the right, the religious right of circumcision? So Paul just simply lays out the order and said, you decide for yourself. Notice the timing of this ordinance from Abraham's life. The Bible teaches us that Abraham first believed God. Let me read these verses to you again. Again, verse number nine, cometh this blessing upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham 
for righteousness. So the question is that Abraham, the father of our faith, was made righteous. So the question is, was it because of his religious right? Where did this blessedness come from? So Paul lays it out for us, and I've got to take you back to Genesis to show you the order of it. First, Abraham, above everything else, believed God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says that, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So let's put it down. First things first, what did Abraham do? Abraham heard God. He obeyed God. He trusted the lordship and the leadership of God in his life. Bottom line, the Bible said, first of all, Abraham believed God. So believing God does another thing. We do the progression of his life. We move past chapter 12 and we look to chapter 15. We learn then that Abram was born of God. In other words, we would use the New Testament terminology by saying he was born again. We would say he was born from above. He had a new birth. He had a spiritual birth. It's recorded again in Genesis 15, verse 6. The Bible says that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So you're still with me this morning. The Old Testament terminology here is being saved. So there was no righteousness in Abraham. Can I go ahead and flesh that out a little bit for you? There is no righteousness in any of Adam's sons. There is no righteousness in any of Adam's ruined race. The only righteousness is found in God only. So if a man or a woman is to be found right before God, it's because of God. And it's in God that a man could be justified in the presence of God. And so there was none, none righteous. So it was imputed unto Abraham, and that's what they're calling blessedness, and it is blessed. Don't you agree? How could you stand before a holy God and be right? That's the greatest blessing of anybody's life. You understand what King David said? Blessed is the man whose sins, whose iniquities, whose transgressions have been forgiven, who's imputed unto him righteousness. In other words, he said, I'm blessed, happy, satisfied, and content because I'm saved. And so that's the truth of the matter. Abraham did not just believe in God because everybody in Upper East Tennessee believes in God. Go knock on doors with me. I can't find a lost person in East Tennessee. But that don't mean everybody in East Tennessee is going to heaven. Oh, yeah, that should have been a few more amens right there. But everybody believes in God. You say, well, what about the atheist? I don't believe in atheist. It's a foolish attempt. It's a foolish attempt to get away from standing before God. But let me tell you what the Bible says, and I'll believe the Bible. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You'll stand before God. And by the way, I'm going to stand with our military men on this one. They said, put them in a foxhole. They'll find God. I don't believe in atheists. It's a feeble, foolish attempt to deny their creator. It's not a very good one either. But everybody believes in God. Put them in the right situation, and they'll confess that. They believe in God. It's not about believing in God. Why? The Bible says in James chapter 2, even the devils, the demons of hell, believe in God. And they fear and tremble at His name. 
The demons of hell have greater sense than many walking our streets because they recognize his supremacy as the son of the most high God. And they beg God not to punish them, but it's coming. And so Abraham didn't just believe in God. Listen to the difference. I read it to you. Abraham believed God. What does that mean? He believed God. He believed in his person. He believed his will. He believed his word. He believed his commandment. If God said it, that settled it. He believed God. See, God made a promise to Abraham. So he believed. So God's made a promise to all sinful humanity. What is it? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I just don't believe in a God. I believe God. I believe that he said, if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead, that I could be saved. I didn't just believe in God. I believed God. I believed his word. I believed him as truth. I trusted him. That's why I'm blessed. That's why righteousness has been imputed into my life. Where did that blessedness come from? Because he first believed God, and then he was born of God, and then finally, Abraham was branded by God. So he asked in this question, verse 10, so how then was he reckoned? When was he in, when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? That's a good question. And so the ending of that verse, he answers it, not in circumcision, but in, in uncircumcision. He received the sign of circumcision, but a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith. Of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So he believed God before that rite and ritual. He was born of God spiritually from above before that religious ritual. But then he was branded by God. You see the progression here. After believing, after being born again, then he was branded. I use that term. He carried the mark of God upon his life. We've went from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. As you know, it's a running narrative of his life. And so in progression, you now move to Genesis 17, verse 11, that says, God's commandment to Abraham, that you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of covenant between me and you. And Abraham was saved 14 years before the rite of circumcision. Therefore, I've got to conclude, and so do you on the research of the Word of God, that salvation is apart from religion and is apart from religious ceremonies and rituals. Based on the progression of Scripture. You've read it. You've seen it. So no matter what that ritual is that you're trusting in to get you to heaven, no matter what your name is assigned to in a local ministry or membership, no matter what you've done that makes you quote-unquote religious, it's good, it's great, but it's wholly insufficient for being declared righteous in the presence of God. And that's all you and I are ever living for. 
Because we know the sobering day's coming that all of us will stand before the living God. And all we want to hear is that we've been declared righteous. I just want Jesus to step up and say, He's with me, Father. He's mine. And I'm His. Now you understand why they said, Where did this blessedness of Abraham come? It come through Christ. Come through Christ. Notice the truth of this ordinance. Why would they have to do all that then? Why do we have religious rites and ceremonies? What's the importance of that? Well, it was an outward sign of an inward change. He gave this to Abraham as a declaration and a witness to his conversion to God and his witness of being in covenant with God. It also was a sign that he would be a father to all them. I love this. To all of them that believe circumcision or uncircumcision. What does that mean? Jew or Gentile. Those inside the covenant or those outside the covenant. Good news that all men can be made righteous if they'll believe God and be born of God. Then those who are unashamed to wear the mark of God upon their life. Why is it insufficient? You told us that, preacher, but why? I've got to answer the questions of this text. See, religious rituals of Jewish circumcision is wholly insufficient for salvation. Why? Because Abraham received a seal, and I love that word, a seal of righteousness of God by faith, yet being uncircumcised according to verse number 11. So that settles the issue. But no matter how special religious rites and rituals are, no physical ceremony, no rite of passage, no holy ordinance can ever produce a spiritual change in your life. You can be on the roll. You can take communion. You can be in the baptismal pool. You can serve in any capacity, but it will do nothing to change your heart for God. Paul says it best in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet the vast majority of the world are missing heaven because their crutch is holding on to what they can do and not what he's done on Calvary's cross. You said, Pastor, that's a pretty indicting statement. Why would you say the vast majority of the world? Because I've read the Bible. The Bible said there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many are on that. The Bible says there's a straight and narrow way that leads to life everlasting, and few find it. See, my job and my passion and my desire is to make sure lost people know how to find Jesus, know how to be declared right in the sight of God, because you're going to stand before him one day, and you want to make sure you're on the right side. Bible teaches us also that like so many today who say, and it bothers me, ignorance is bliss. But in the religious community, there are many who say that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I have folks in my family who can't tell you a thing in the world about what the Bible says or what Jesus has done in their life has no clue about eternal life. And yet all they can hold back to is I've been baptized. That's scary. I'm not talking about your family. I was talking about mine, but I see a lot of nodded heads. You know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people that don't even know what the Bible says, but their name's on the roll book. And they think they're all right. 
They wouldn't know the will of God if it was written down in front of them. But their name's on the roll. They walked an aisle. They were baptized. Some would probably even have the testimonies, I've been baptized three or four times. I'm not being mean. I'm not being disrespectful. But you can be baptized so many times you start resembling a tadpole. And it's wholly insufficient to be declared righteous in the presence of God. Saying that you must be baptized in order to be saved is as ridiculous as a Jew demanding that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. A knife or a surgeon's scalpel can never cut away the sin of a dirty heart. Can never. No more can any amount of water ever wash away the sins from a dirty and defiled heart. See, that's why we teach our children early and often to sing, What Can Wash Away My Sin? We don't say the baptismal waters of Chincoping Grove Baptist Church. No, 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 no. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. I thought somebody just stand up and start singing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You believe that, church? Why in the world do folks depend on another? There is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus died in my, in my substitute, as my substitute, as my sacrifice. Only Christ, only Christ can change a heart. Only Christ can convert sinners. Only Christ can impart salvation. Then... Once Christ has saved your soul, then once Christ has changed your heart, then these ordinances have great significance. They are an outward sign of an inward change. Therefore, I must conclude on the truth of the word of God that salvation is apart from any religious activity. Amen. So are you condemning religion? No. I'm just telling you it's wholly inadequate to get you to heaven. I'm just telling you once you're saved and on fire for the Lord and living for Jesus, get religious about it. Carry the mark of God. What are you saying? Get up here and make it public. If you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. You confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Get up here and get in the baptismal pool. Why? Wear the mark of God. Let the world know that now you identify with the risen Lord. When he died, he died for you and as you. And when he was buried, he buried for you and as you. But thank God when he rose, you too have been risen to new life. You are dead in your sins and trespasses against God. But he's quickened you. And I just want the world to know because they couldn't see what took place in my heart. Am I helping anybody this morning? You understand? See, when I got saved, that's between me and God. It's a personal, intimate love relationship between me and God. And then he said, go tell. And the greatest act of witness you can be is, get up here and wear the mark of God. You know, I, I love it when I have little children. They come to my office and you know, they, they can't ever say, y'all, your parents work on this. They can't ever say baptism. They get stuck in there somewhere. It's like, baptism. But I just want to be baptized. I get tickled. So, and I, I, I explain this. 
Children can genuinely be saved, and they're excited about that. They want to follow the Lord. And so I explained to them, little boys never get it, but girls do. It's a corny illustration. But I, I look to those little girls, and the boys are clueless, but I look to them, and I, I point out my wedding band. I said, what is this? Little boys goes, ring. Girl said, it's a wedding band. And so why do I wear it? Because you're married. Boy's going, I don't know. So I take it off. And I look at him, I say, am I still married? Little boys are going. See, that starts early. Little girls usually put their hands on their hip and say, yes, you are. You're married to Miss Tracy. Yeah. Well, then why in the world do I wear it? To show the world my love, my allegiance to her. You getting it? Why do I ask you to be baptized? To show the world you love him who first loved you and gave himself for you on an old rugged cross. I must conclude this morning that salvation, being justified in the presence of God, is apart from any religious activity. Second of all, and we're going home, salvation is apart from any rules. He's talking about the works of the law. Look at verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where there is no law or where no law is, there is no transgression. Hang with me. Salvation's apart from any religious activity and salvation's apart from any rules. Speaking of the law of God, first of all, before we get into that, let's look at this promise that he mentioned. What promise? The promise of our redemption, that he be the heir of the world. Speaking of our redemption that's found only in faith. You know the story of Abraham? If you don't go back to Genesis and start reading it. The story of Abraham is that God promised him a seed. It's a pretty phenomenal story of faith. You can't think of faith not thinking of Abraham or vice versa. I mean, who gets a promise at 75 that you're going to have a son? Doctors will laugh at you. The world will scorn at you. On top of that, God said, I'm going to make you wait. Why? To prove there's nothing impossible with God. I don't know if we have anybody in here as a hundred, but how would you like to be a hundred and father a son? All right. God's promises are not like ours, are they? It's a story of faith. What did Abraham do? He just simply believed God. Would you believe God against all odds? He did. God promised him a son. God promised through that son there would be a seed. I got to back up. A son, then a nation. And through that son, that nation, there would be a seed. A seed that would do what? Bless all nations of the world. Through his line would come through the Lord Jesus Christ, the heir of the world, the hope of our redemption. He did that, that promise. 
But man cannot inherit that promise by his own efforts or obedience to the laws of God, only by faith. Man is not redeemed by keeping the law. Our redemption is based on trusting the promise of God that he would send forth a redeemer. The redeemer would do what he promised and provide healing and salvation in him. So if you're saved, it's not by your obedience to the law. It's by trusting in the promise of God, period. And so our redemption, let me say it this way, is not based on trying. It's based on trusting. It had to be faith. It could not have been the law. Why? Because the law was given centuries after Abraham's death. (laughs) We got to keep and trust the promise of God. Now, that's really all that a sinner could do if they're not willing to trust and have faith in God's promise. All they could do is try to keep the laws of God. Has anybody ever done that? Ended up exhausted? Ended up exhausted and yet a failure. See, the Bible teaches us that we can't keep the law. No, I don't need the Bible to teach me that. I prove it myself. We fail. We're all gross violators of God's holy law. We've all missed the mark. But praise God for the promise of redemption that came through the righteousness of faith. Therefore, we do not have to try. We trust. We trust God for salvation that's only in Jesus. We trust and don't try. It's faith, not works. It's grace, not law. It's belief, not behavior. But in that succession of things, The first deals with salvation. The second deals with sanctification. Note, what's the purpose of the law then? See, because so many people think their morality is going to get them to heaven. You you, you do believe me, right? Sing with me just for about another couple minutes. You you, you do believe me that. I mean, I promise you, Rusty will tell you the same. I promise you, most every home we go into, and I ask diagnostic questions of the gospel. You know, I always say, have you ever come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you die today, you'll go to heaven? Everybody, I'm telling you, everybody in Upper East Tennessee says yes. I'm not being mean here. I've had two people since 1992 that told me they were lost. I thought, wow, we can go somewhere now. Oh, yeah. And so then I asked the second diagnostic question, which is so important. All right, suppose you were to die today because that's a reality. Suppose you were to die today and you stood before the living God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you might say? It's amazing. You don't even have to give them a nanosecond. Here's what they said. Well, I'm a good person. I've never been in jail. My kids are good. They had straight A's. One graduated with honors. They've never been in jail. I've got great grandchildren. You ought to see them. You will see some pictures. I could go on and on and on. I take care of my neighbor. You know, they had open heart surgery the other week and I mow their yard. I take care of them. I check in on my widow lady that lives across the street. I'm a good person, preacher. That's good. Nothing wrong with good works. The only problem with good works, there's not enough of them. But if you're trusting in your morality to get you to heaven, you'll not get an inch high at the rapture. You die, you'll lift your eyes in a place called hell. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest. Wouldn't you rather find out the truth on this side of eternity than the other? I'm still in the book. I'm still preaching the Bible. I'm telling you the truth. Morality is what people hold on to instead of the promise of God. So what's the purpose of the law? If I don't have to just obey the law and be good, it's to show us our wrongs. The law underlines and highlights our failures. The law says God's way is right 
God's word is true. God's laws are perfect and righteous. They're good. They're right. Matter of fact, if you don't believe me, just take one of them, any of them, even the big 10, I don't care. Take one of them and implement it in our world today. In 24 hours, we'd be a better place. I don't, I don't care. Adultery? Boy, wouldn't it be nice to go 24 hours and not hear something on the world, in the world about that? Murder? I'm adult, boy, that'd be good. Every time I turn around, there's another shooting. His laws are right. They're perfect. They're true. They're good. The only problem is that's the pure life and the perfect life. But I can't achieve it. I mean, they're fine if you want to live perfect to the law. Then if you can live perfect to the law, you don't need faith. But I want to go on record this morning and tell you, I need faith. Why? Because I'm an imperfect person. I'm a violator of God's holy law. Because I'm a sinner, this life for me is impossible. Adam's race is incapable of perfection or perfect obedience to the laws of God. Again, the laws underline our failure. They show us, as a schoolmaster would show us, our need of redemption and salvation. A Savior, His name is Jesus. They only show us our wrongs, but it shows us His wrath because Paul said in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I'm not being mean. I'm not being morbid. Tracy gets on me from time to time and says I'm morbid in my preaching, but I'm not trying to be morbid. But hear me when I tell you this. Every time you go to the funeral home, you prove the Word of God. When you see a carcass laid out there in a casket, you prove the Word of God. The soul that sins, it shall die. That's part of the wrath of God upon sin. But thank God I don't have to stop there. The law of God also shows us the way to God. Romans 5, 8 and 9 says, But God commended His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by His blood, that we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And I love John 14, 6, that Jesus Himself declares to a lost and dying world that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. So you know the way. The way is Jesus. So let me conclude, and I'm going to pray, and you can make a decision. The law, for those who are trusting in their morality and their obedience to the moral law, their obedience to the laws of God to get them to heaven. The law was never to get you to heaven. The law was to show you your need of redemption and salvation because you're a violator of God's law. So the law wasn't given to save. It was given to condemn. It shows man just how far he has drifted in sin away from God. Just how far he has fallen short of the glory of God. No self-righteousness, no right, no religion can ever save a man or a woman. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. It's not in what you've done or what you can do, but only in what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. See, he paid a debt he didn't owe because you owed a debt you couldn't pay. And now he offers a pardon full and free. If only you'll express faith to come and repent of your sins and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? It's Jesus died in your stead. He took your place. He rose again to give you new life. And Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth, you can be saved. My favorite verse is chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever, I put my name there one day. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if, if you just have faith, 
Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Come to Christ. You can receive him as Savior and Lord. I'd encourage you. I'm going to go back to the title of my sermon. I'd encourage you to come to grace this morning. Grace, what is that? Unmerited favor. Who, who among us deserves to miss hell the way we've treated God? Who has sinned against His holy and righteous laws? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know you, but I know me. I deserve to be burning in a devil's hell. I've never been in jail. I've never been arrested. I got pulled over one time for a speeding ticket. I was about three days out of 16. That made an example for me. But I was a violator. I've never run around on my wife. I've never hit her. Why are you saying all that? Because that's what everybody tells me. That's what it takes to go to heaven. But I tell you, I've done all that. I've got, a rec I've got a better record than some of you sitting here. Let's not go there, preacher. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Why? We've all fallen short. And if there's anybody here, listen to me. If there's anybody here that stands in the glories of heaven and is declared righteous before a holy God, that's an act of grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So I'd encourage you one more time. Come to grace this morning. Come to God's call of grace. And you'll receive the greatest gift you've ever received. That's his son Jesus. The pardon for all your sin. Would you trust him this morning? Father, thank you again for the privilege. And the high honor of knowing you as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for your pardon, your salvation, your redemption. God, I'm glad you're not finished with me. I'm still a work in progress. But I rejoice this morning that I've been set free. Free from the shackles of my sin. God, would you do the same in the life of those that are here that doesn't know you as Savior? God, would you help them, bring them to the knowledge of salvation? And we'll give you praise for that. God, as heaven rejoices, we'll rejoice. And for those that are here that know they're saved, but God, they need to start living like they're saved. They need to share it with others and tell others and show others. God, let them come up to a place around this altar and just get real with you. Father, I thank you for all these graduates. Lord, they're getting ready to spread their wings and do life. God, keep them close to the roots. God, I pray you'd be the center of their joy. Father, I pray you would lead them and guide them in your perfect will. Lord, there's no problem on your end. My desire is you'd open up their ears. You'd open up their minds and their hearts to be receptive to the leadership of God. Lead them in great places. God, would you make them world changers? God, I pray that you'd be strong soldiers of the cross. Our world needs light and truth. Whatever the need is today, may it be found in your grace. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.